You ever met somebody new? You don't really know a lot about them, so you start making small talk with them and uh, find out a little bit about them, where they're from, what they do for a living, talk about their families, ask about their kids, and you ever have somebody that, that says, yeah, I've got uh, two children, they're two and four, they're just, they're everything to me. Then you meet somebody who you say, do you have any children? And their answer is, I do, but they're adult children. And your response is, oh, that's awesome. But inside, we're all going, you are old. You're so old. You got adult kids. You're so old. Oh, my goodness. Well, unfortunately, yesterday... It came back to hit me in the face because my oldest daughter turned 18 yesterday. Yes, right? Right? So, so, I'm making a public apology today because from now on, I have, I have one child who's still a teenager, but I now have an adult child. I have an adult child. Ah, no, no. See, I'm here to set the record straight. I'm not old. Those of you with adult children, we're, we're not old. We're not old anymore. We were, we were Friday, you were, we weren't, but now we are not old. Now, those of you that have adult grandchildren, you're so old, you're so old. And I'm saying that to my parents who are watching right now, because now they have adult grandchildren, you know, they actually have... Two already before Emma Grace got there. I tell you, um, just because, I'm going to say this, just because you're an adult, which Emma Grace has been reminding us for the last 300 and I guess 65, 66 days that we are about to have three adults in the house, okay? Just because the world labels us, our, our driver's license labels us as an adult, does not mean a whole lot means we've reached a certain age. But I wrote down two phrases that I wish I had made made up because they're brilliant, but I didn't. I copied them. I'm plagiarizing. I pulled it. I'm admitting it. That's what adults do. Uh, everyone grows, but not everyone grows up. Amen. <laughs> we got amen already. Awesome. Some people stop being a child while continuing to be childish. Yep. Kids talk cute, they, they, they act cute. In fact, almost everything they do is adorable as kids and we capture that in pictures and videos. But if we're not careful and we don't look at those things that, that become rebellion and foolishness and we don't address those, then we might start to find eight, nine-year-old kids who act like two and three-year-olds. And then if we don't, address some of those situations as we're raising our kids, then we begin to see 14, 15 year olds. And then eventually we have 30 year olds who still act like two and three year olds. Kids say interesting things. However, they don't necessarily always say the wisest things. And as Christians, the need to spiritually grow up is a mandate. This morning we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is an interesting book because um, they haven't really fully nailed down who wrote 
the book of Hebrews, nor have they really nailed down who the book of Hebrews was written for. They, some people may say that, it, that, that Paul wrote Hebrews, but it doesn't really match his style. Some people may say that Apollos wrote uh, Hebrews. Some have even said that Luke wrote Hebrews, but it's obvious, a few things are obvious in the book of Hebrews, that this was an intellectual Jewish Christian known by the people that were reading. And this wasn't necessarily a, a letter it's more written like a, like a sermon or a, or a speech. The recipients, though, we know for sure, were Jewish converts. These are people that are Christ followers, written in about 60 to 70 AD. So we're talking a couple generations after Jesus' death, resurrection. So we're not that far off. We still have some people there that can say, oh yeah, well, grandfather or great-grandfather walked with Jesus or, or knew Jesus. He was still there. So we're not that far off. We're, we're very, very close. But we do know that they are retreating. These people are retreating in this day from the things that they were holding dear and the things that they knew they were supposed to do, the things they knew they were supposed to say. We know that they were, were kind of taking a step back from openly professing Christ. And so in this situation, this writer takes the opportunity to talk about things, Jesus being greater than. Talking about a new covenant, the old covenant with sacrifices that we had to do. This, the ultimate sacrifice has come and paid the price for us. So we don't need any more. So it's, it's the reminder that, hey, remember, the old, the old has passed away. The new covenant is now here. All right. So we profess Jesus. So, so why do you want to revert back to those old ways? Why do you want to go back to the things that felt comfortable and, and, and just, just commonplace and the, the things that we felt really good and warm and fuzzy? And why, why do you want to go back to that when we have Jesus? Jesus was just here 60, 65 years ago. It, it, it's not that long ago, but I see you making this pattern. Okay, that's what's happening right here. So just before this passage, okay, there seems to be a disease that's festering. In chapter 2, we hear this warning. We must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. Chapter 3, verse 1, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Chapter 3, verse 8, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. Chapter 3, verse 12, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Hebrews 4, 1, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. 4, 11, let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fail, fall by Following their example of disobedience. In chapter 4 verse 14. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Hebrews is full of encouragement. Exhortation to a church. To believers. To live the way that they're supposed to live. To to leave the old behind. to, To profess Christ. And it comes with some stern warnings. And all of these start showing that there's something brewing. There is a disease that seems to be festering. So, this morning we're going to take a spiritual checkup here and find find out what the diagnosis is. And so if you will turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 11 through 14 most of the time this morning. But this is what we find. All of that has been said, all right? 
And we find these words. We have much to say about this. But it's hard to explain. Because you are slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need somebody to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you show us the plan. And Father, when we divert from that plan, that God, that you have warnings within your word to pull us back, to keep us on track. And you have the Holy Spirit who's guiding us day in, day out. All we need to do is listen for that still small voice. God, this morning, I pray that you would speak to my heart, to my friends' hearts here today. God, that we would leave this place changed because of your spirit's move in our heart. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So the purpose, obviously, in this passage here is to exhort the hearers, okay, to say, keep going, keep going. you, You know what it takes. But we've got to diagnose something here. Something's just not right. And this is what we see as a diagnosis. Some of your pastors, when we read this here, we talked about that they were slow to learn. He couldn't go on and and say all these things. So what's happening here, he has these deep truths and some some more uh, substantial teaching he needs to do. We've been talking about all these things. And he's talking about uh, the order of Melchizedek. And we're about talking about the priesthood of Christ. And we're talking about things that are greater than, that, that Jesus is over all. But he pauses. It's like this, just step back and goes... But I wish I could tell you more, but you're slow to learn. Other translations may say you no longer try to understand. You've become too lazy to understand. You've become poor listeners. But as you see a bunch of these passages, of different translations of this passage, we find the words dull of hearing more than anything. So dull brings about this sluggish, lazy, slothful kind of feel. But um, it's more about to be slow and sluggish in our minds as well as our ears. But what it really boils down to, and here is, here is um, what he's saying in a nutshell. It says this, these people were indifferently, indifferently losing devoted interest in Christ. When I think of indifference, I think of where do you want to go eat tonight? I don't care. I'm fine. What should I wear to this event? Eh, I don't. It doesn't matter. You you choose. It doesn't really it doesn't really matter. What are your thoughts about being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Hmm. Doesn't really doesn't really do anything for me anymore. Vast difference. The people were dull of hearing. The people had become almost indifferent and sluggish and slothful in making much of who Jesus is. The difficulty doesn't arise because of the nature of the subject that they're about to talk about. The deal is the listener is unprepared. The diagnosis 
is dull of hearing. They're spiritually immature Christians. Here's the problem, though. They had been followers of Christ for a very long time. We're not talking about people that, that just the day before had been told about the gospel and made a decision for Jesus. We're talking about people who, for years and years and years, had walked in this infancy stage and were still immature in their faith. And that's what the writer is attacking right now and saying, this is the problem, this is the diagnosis. So how did he know that? Here's some of the symptoms that we see in the word. We see here in verse 12 that they lack the ability to teach others. So he thought when he's writing this, he's like, by now, by now you should be able to take what you learn and you should be able to teach others. You should be able to share that with them. You should know the Bible enough to make a difference in someone else's walk with God. If this should, this should impact your walk. You should be able to be a disciple. You should be able to make disciples and you're not there yet. In verse 13, it says they need milk and not solid food. Milk is great. Milk is necessary. As infants, milk has all the nutrients and the rich things that we need in order to, to, to stir up growth. You want to know if your child's ready for steak yet? Four-week-old child, feed them steak. It's going to be, it's going to get pretty ugly very quickly. But they can't handle that. They need the milk before they move on to solid food for quite some time. Milk's the, if milk is the only diet that you're getting as an adult, there's going to be issues. It's the only thing suitable for the infant. The adult needs more. Immature believers can only handle spiritual milk. That is, they need to be nourished by those elementary truths of God's word. And they're not ready for anything beyond that. They need milk in order to gain strength, maturity, but then they should reach a point where they go beyond that and experience. Hey, take a look, take a look at this video. Do you, do you remember this back in the nineties? indeed one of my all-time favorites and now let's make that random call with today's ten thousand dollar question it's a tough one who shot alexander hamilton in that famous duel all right let's go to the phones and see who's out there hello hello for ten thousand dollars who shot excuse me I'm afraid your time is almost up. I'm sorry, maybe next time. Got milk. All right, so when when refrigeration and pasteurization came along, all right. People were drinking milk like crazy. They understood that milk was important, very vital for growth and to, to build all of the necessary nutrients in their bodies along with other things. But what happened was we, 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 we come screeching into the nineties, okay? Early nineties and, and people are not drinking milk. On average, by that point, people were drinking one glass of milk a day. Gone from three to one. What's flying off the shelves? Sodas. In fact, the year 1998 was the peak of soda consumption. 
okay, in our, in our day and age. 1998, the average American drank 58 gallons of soda in a year. Yeah. For those of us who are alive in 98, we should be ashamed of ourselves. All right. Those of you that were born like after 2000, you're like, good, I'm healthier than my parents and all that. But no, Got Milk was a huge campaign. In fact, it to this day is one of the most famous, famous ad campaigns of all time. Got Milk. Milk, it does the body good. They were trying to push people. They're like, don't you know milk is great? Milk's awesome. It's cool to drink milk. Drink milk. Look at all these stars. They're drinking milk. They love it so much, they're not even wiping off their top lip. They're leaving that milk mustache. And we're going to take a picture and we're going to put it on the side of a bus. We want you to drink your milk. Well, here's the problem, though. People weren't drinking milk. It started slowly falling even more and they're like what we every every i think i remember every commercial break having a milk commercial it was all over the place but it wasn't enough in fact they were like we got a problem but you know what people do where they do consume milk and their cereal so we're going to put got milk on the side of every cereal box well then here comes the craze of granola bars and granola bars come in people are like i don't have time to sit and eat cereal i'm just going to grab a granola bar and so they start doing that well uh uh-oh the milk whole industry is like the cereal industry is going down and we're going down with it in a big bowl of milk. Um, but what are we going to do? And so they tried doing all this and it just was not working. In fact, when the campaign was finished, the average national average had gone to half a cup of milk per day. Now, I don't drink a lot of milk. I don't know how many people, I mean, there's people that still drink a glass of milk, but here's what happened. They said, well, they're not going to drink it. We're going to force feed them into like yogurts and all this stuff. And so all the efforts and the, and the, the, the dollars all went into dairy products that maybe we could get our stuff there. In fact, at one point there was a push for pizza companies to double the cheese in their pizza so that America could get more calcium. That's where stuff crust came from. Thank you, Jesus, for stuff crust. I would much rather down a big old heaping cup of stuff crust than milk. But it's not the same. People drifted away from milk in their daily diet. And the readers in Hebrews had drifted away from that spiritual milk that they had known about. But now they've kind of regressed. The third thing besides the milk is that, I'm sorry, the, the, the spiritual milk that he spells out in this is found in the next two verses. So in, in chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, we read that these things are what spiritual milk is. This Hebrews 6, verses 1 and 2, all right? Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death, and a faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Those are your things. Repentance. The importance to repent before faith. Faith. Complete trust. Confidence in God. Baptism. Laying on of hands that at this time had kind of become uh, hand in hand with baptism. Kind of a blessing associated with that. The resurrection from the dead. Which ultimately, okay, very important because if Christ is not raised from the dead, then our faith is for nothing. 
And lastly, eternal judgment. So the indication that, yes, there truly is the real existence of heaven and of hell. These are the things. These are simple. Some of us in this room are reading through these and going, check, check, check. I understand those. But even in this day, they're falling back to the old covenant and not focusing on what Jesus had done. And they were, this writer's upset that again, said the word there, again, you have to learn these foundational truths. It's normal, again, for recent converts to go through that and to not kind of know those and to wrestle with these. But for people who should be down the road, an adult, if you will, in their faith, should have moved on past that spiritual milk. And the last thing it says in there, that they are spiritually untrained in distinguishing good from evil. They haven't really put that into practice, taken those things um, that, uh, that, that cause them to have good judgment Taking these foundational truths, applying them to life and realizing that these are necessary to move on to other things. So the writer says, I can't do it. So how did he know that? It was those symptoms. We have the diagnosis of dull in hearing. We have the symptoms that we've seen. They're not teaching. They can't get past milk and go on to more solid teaching. And they don't understand that by doing that, they can discern between good and evil. So here's the question all of us have. Okay, if that's my diagnosis, these are the symptoms I have. What if it's left untreated? And I'm glad you asked. All right, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 3. Look at these words. It says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people. Sounds very simple or similar. You as people who live by the spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. That catches him. He says, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? I don't have to remind you that we're living in a time where the words deconstructing your faith, walking away from the faith, turning are back on the faith, are just commonplace now. Culture, if we're not careful, they, could, they are waiting right outside this door to tell us what we should believe in, why we should believe in that, how we should act, why the things that we hold near and dear to our hearts don't line up with that. We're in a day where it's important that we stand firm. So here's the problem. If left untreated, Paul says, aren't you just like the world? Aren't you worldly people? You've got quarreling. You've got jealousy. These are all in your church. These are all among the believers. Second Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says, For a time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. The world doesn't need Weak and ineffective churches. If you think that your spiritual maturity, the status of your maturity, the status of my maturity does not affect our church and in turn doesn't affect the culture, it's wrong. The the world does not need weak and ineffective churches. Weak churches are filled with childish, immature Christians Weak churches have no impact on society around them. 
In fact, weak churches are barely distinguishable from the world outside. Our world will benefit from a congregation and a group of people who know God's word and will unapologetically profess the name of Christ. So if it goes untreated, we begin to see it fester inside the church. So what is the treatment? What's the treatment? Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is living and active. Faith in God is a dynamic process, and it's constantly growing. Edgar Andrews, he's an English physicist and an engineer, he once said, one of the classic evidences of life of any kind is growth. When something ceases to grow, it's usually dead. What do we need? We need that balanced diet. We need daily quiet time. We need moments spent with him in his word. We need small group Bible study, discipleship groups, accountability. We need all of this balanced diet. We need to take the true foundational truths, all right, that's found in the spiritual milk that we get from his word. And then we need to dive deeper into more solid food, more questions, then put it into experience. We need to see how it, how it applies to our lives. We realize that there's a connection between what I read and the decisions that I make. And we find ourselves in different areas and different situations. Like, I really don't know what we'll go back to these, the spiritual milk. We don't leave the milk behind. All right. He's not saying you've already done that milk. It doesn't do a body good. No, what he's saying is milk. It does a body good, but he's saying, what about the incredible edible egg? What if he's saying uh, pork, the other white meat? Beef, it's what's for dinner. We have all these ad campaigns that came away, and now that's what he's the greatest ad um, whatever, ad man that you could ever have in this day and age. And he's saying, no, you need this spiritual milk. Keep it coming. Keep it coming because that's the foundational truth. And as we move on to this more solid food, you're going to find that your relationship with Christ is deeper and deeper and you're not going to leave those things behind. Doctrine makes a difference. But it's the movement from the doctrine and theology of what we believe into experience that makes the difference. Leonard Ravenhill, English Christian evangelist, once said that the world out there is not waiting for a new definition of Christianity. It's waiting for a new demonstration of Christianity. Doctrine by itself won't allow us to grow in Christ. Experience by itself doesn't allow us to grow in Christ. It's the combination. It's the well-balanced diet. It's the treatment for this disease known as dull of hearing. In a nutshell, mature Christians are people who practice the Bible, not simply learn it. If you want to become mature, then the rich, nutritional, precious milk of God's gospel promises must change and transform our moral senses or our spiritual mind so that we can discern between good and evil and look different than what's out there.
The diagnosis is dull of hearing. The symptoms, these people couldn't teach. Even the basics. They needed milk. They weren't ready for solid food. They had no experience putting it into practice and they couldn't discern good from evil. And if left undone, it would come into the churches. Jealousy, quarreling, the things of this world make the church look just like the world. No different. Nobody wants to have anything to do with a Jesus or a Savior that doesn't transform you. But the treatment is right there. Relationship with Jesus. A balanced diet of milk, solid food, solid teaching, and putting that into practice. When you were little, I'm not sure if, if your families did this, but you may have had a, a, a spot on a, on a door jam somewhere inside the door. Maybe it's in a closet. Maybe it was prominent. It was right out for everybody to see. But as you grew, they would come and you and your siblings, maybe they would come and they would, they would start marking and put the year, the date, how old you were. That's how tall you were. And then, then when you came back around, maybe it was on your birthday, you came back and all oh, they would mark that spot. And it was cool to watch, watch you grow. Maybe you still do that. I had Roger Bartholomew told me the other day that he still does that and he's now shrunk an inch. So his has already gone the other direction. So maybe you continue to do that. Okay. But let me tell you this. If you came back, say your 10 year old comes around, Hey, come on in here and you come and you mark it. Look at that. You are the same height you were when you were three. Awesome. Way to go. You can still order off the kid's meal. You'd be on the phone and you would go down any avenue you could to find out what is wrong with my child. Will they remain like this their whole lives? Should I be concerned? I'm telling you this. The word of God is timeless. The writer of Hebrews was spot on. And today, we need to look back. Have we first accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior? Do we continue to grow in that? If we come over here to our spiritual chart and we, we have grown and grown and grown, awesome. Because it's a constant growth movement. Where there is no growth, things die. But if we find we're in the exact same place... And we say we've been a Christ follower for 30, 40, 50 years. And we're still drinking milk. And maybe still can't even digest that spiritual milk. Then it's a problem. What happens is it gets into our place and our families and this body. And we are ineffective to reach the world that we were challenged to reach for the name of Jesus. God's faithfulness to his promises should encourage us to maintain our hope in him and eternity. And we need to faithfully proclaim Jesus and live our lives as a demonstration of that. If the Hebrew writer were here today, he'd still say the same thing. He would encourage, he'd say, hang in there, run the race, keep the faith. Drink the spiritual milk of the elementary truths of God's word. Crave the solid food of deeper teaching and then put it into practice and that faith into action. Live, grow, be a disciple 
and make disciples. Let's bow our heads, if you will, and um, let me ask you a few questions. Just, again, this, remember this passage was, was written to believers. So I'm speaking to those of you that, that have claimed the name of Jesus For years. Ask yourself these questions. Have your spiritual ears become dull? Has God's word become uninteresting to you? Has your desire to teach or preach the word of God faded? Has the energy to think and ask questions about the most important questions in the world slowly diminished in your heart? Have the things of the world become more exciting and attractive than the word of God and the greatness of his salvation? Do you feel indifferent? The good news is it's not too late. There's still air in your lungs, in my lungs, to turn around this season. God's grace is more than sufficient to cover a stagnant season of faith. He desires to know you. He desires that you fully know him. Don't settle for what I would call a, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Faith. Foundational truths, the milk. Solid food the more substantial study of his word and then the experience and the application to know the difference between good and evil that brings life and knowledge and faith in the almighty God who is worth more, much more than our indifference. God, I pray in these moments that we would be honest with ourselves, honest with you. I thank you for your warnings today. And God, I just pray that in these moments that we can open up our hearts. That we in this room would run to you. Lay down our lives and say, God, we want more. You're worthy of more. Let's stand together. If you need to come talk to somebody this morning, staff are down here to talk to you.
If you need to just come pray on the altar, come do that. But as the words to this song say, we're going to run to him this morning. He's worthy of it. He challenges us to do that. He warns us what happens when we don't. So let's continue to worship this morning. Be honest. Be honest. Let's sing.